Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! 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 Ah! Some things never change. Like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you late on Sunday, April 11th. You guys hearing this likely on Monday the 12th. And the Cubs and Pirates finishing up a three-game set in Pittsburgh, featuring the off day on Friday. And Brendan kind of liked that Brewers series. It started with a really nice win, some stuff to really take some positives away. We got to enjoy that Friday coming off a Cubs W. And then, boy, did the wheels fall off of the bus for a disaster of a weekend for the Chicago Cubs. Well, it was disappointing. You're looking at the next, like, four weeks, Corey, and you're seeing the Braves on the schedule twice. You're seeing the Dodgers, the Brewers, the Reds. And it's hard not to look at these series against Pittsburgh and kind of be like, man, I wish they took advantage of this because, again, the next month might be a little bit too difficult. So it, it's disappointing. I mean, the last two games were a complete disaster. Let's not, you know, get ourselves serious. Yeah, so this is another one of those spots where it's that battle between it's nine games into the season. The team is four and five. You know, there's nobody in this division that is eight and zero or ten and zero, and you're you're quickly falling behind. Like you know, you're you're fine. You're right in there. But you've had two series with the Pirates, and then of course one with the Brewers. You've been at home for the majority of the schedule so far. And you just lost two games in pretty decisive fashion to the Pittsburgh Pirates. So it's only nine games, but we still find ourselves asking the same questions about the offense and, and concerned about the same things with the offense. And as you mentioned, Brendan, the, the key issue here becomes you kind of have to turn it around and you kind of have to turn it around quick, not necessarily to stay competitive in the division or for a playoff race, uh, but something we're going to talk about in this podcast is turning it around because we don't know how long of a runway Jed Hoyer is going to give this team before he maybe starts picking up the phone uh, to make some phone calls on a lot of these guys on one-year contracts or expiring deals. So that that's kind of the, the battle that I think we find ourselves in right now is it's only nine games. This is a 162-game season, and assuredly, this offense will not be this bad. I mean, they're in the bottom, almost dead last in so many offensive categories, and they won't finish there. But this is going to be a really key portion of the schedule and kind of determining 
where this season heads and and how exactly, you know, kind of the path that that Jed is going to take. But we're going to get into all of that. And so I want to do just a a quick recap of these three games. It'll be very quick because I don't think anybody wants to hear (laughs) about what happened on Saturday and Sunday, but just set the table for us and then we will get into it. So on Thursday, things look good. We started good in Pittsburgh at, at beautiful PNC Park with a Jake Arietta win. He goes six innings, seven hits, two earned, three walks, and four strikeouts. So that makes two for two for Jake Arietta in terms of quality starts. This season, he was wild. This 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 was an outing that we've seen before, I think, from, from Jake, uh, just in terms of he was wild with his command, but his stuff is so nasty at times, he still figures out a way to get through it. He kept the Cubs in the game. They get the W. Rex Brothers, a really nice outing in this one, one and a third with three strikeouts. And Craig Kimbrell picking up his second save of the year in this one, one and two thirds. He comes in to put out a fire in this one, getting the five out save, three strikeouts. Absolutely nasty from Craig Dirty Craig is back, uh, and he is firing on all cylinders so far. So that was the story from the pitching side. In this one, we get home runs from Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, and Anthony Rizzo. The first time all three homering in the same game since 2017, which it's cool that they all hit a home run in the same game, but there, there's something about it not happening since 2017, Brendan, that I think sounds <laughs> exactly right. It, it matches up with you know just sort of the trajectory of everything else. Not that it's easy for three guys to hit home run in the same game, but you guys know what I mean. So the Cubs won 4-2 to two in this one. Clean, simple, nothing exciting. Uh, we went into the off day on Friday, got to enjoy that. Although, uh, Brendan, I mean, no baseball on Friday, got to stop. I know. What is that? That makes no sense, Corey. Not a, not, I know why they do it. I, I know, you know, scheduling and rainouts and, and, you know, they've got the home openers for every day. I know why they do the off day, but mid-series off day is just too weird. Can't do it. When Can't we've just been me. conditioned that, you know, you play the same team for a few days, consecutive days, like there, there's just sort of like unwritten rules, I guess, about the schedule that uh, sometimes Seriously. it's an abrupt interruption on, on days like that. But we were feeling ourselves. The vibe was good heading into Saturday and Sunday, and then it went really downhill. So the Cubs lose two straight games to the Pittsburgh Pirates, the consensus pick basically to finish in the bottom of the NL Central, one of the consensus picks to be the worst team in the league. And the Cubs lose Saturday and Sunday, both by six runs, so a combined 12-run run differential uh, in the negative for the weekend, and the Cubs score three runs on those days between them. So that was really the story. I, I don't have much to break down here. Zach Davies was really bad in this game on Saturday, one and two-thirds, five hits, seven earned, three walks, and two strikeouts. Not good. Uh, And then on Sunday, Trevor Williams was also not good. He goes three and a third, 10 hits, five earned, two walks, and three strikeouts. Javi also homering on Sunday, so certainly good to see him homering on Thursday and Friday in this one. But Brendan, that was really the story. You lose two games uh, by a combined 12 runs, and now you head into a much more difficult portion of the schedule. So there was, you know, a, a few positives mixed in there, but clearly the issue is with the offense. And so I think that's that's probably going to be a lot of this conversation. And I, I know a lot of this feels very familiar. So Brendan, I, I, I guess what I want to mm-hmm. what I want to ask you first here is just your sort of gut reaction to where the Cubs are. Because I, I think I see there's there's such a wide range of takes and conclusions and and opinions being thrown out there. And I'm I'm just curious kind of where you are. I I, I hate to use the word like concern level because it just sounds so negative and it's been nine games. Like, but I, I guess what I'm asking is it's only been nine games, but we've, we've been talking about this offense for quite some time now. And so I guess, where do you find yourselves in that 
that kind of line between it's nine games and that line between, yeah, but I don't have an answer. You know, I think the offense will be better, but I, I don't have the immediate answer for how to stop these long stretches of such lackluster performance. Well, it's a continuation from what we saw last year during that COVID season, which was frustrating most of the season, despite that hot stretch at the start of that 2020 season. So my feeling and my take right now is kind of perplexed, I think. Like, I can't get through my head. And maybe maybe you have a better answer than me, but I can't get through my head how a team who has among the best outside his own swing rates or just overall plate discipline, not swinging at garbage, how they can't put up runs like this with their power potential. Like you look at Rizzo and KB and Javi and Wilson and, and even Hap, it's, it's like, okay, you're not swinging and all these bad pitches, but it's perplexing through, and it's only nine games, so you know this is all with a caveat, but it's, it is perplexing to see that we're noticing and observing many of the same trends we saw last year. And for the life of me, I don't understand how this type of approach, even for a nine-game stretch, yields almost no base hits. Like I, I truthfully do not understand that. And my assumption is over the course of the year, I think it's a fair assumption too, over the course of the year, this type of plate approach will will yield some benefits. And eventually at some point, those base hits will come. Those base hits will fall if they continue to take their walks and lay off those bad pitches. But in the immediacy in these first two weeks, it's perplex, perplexing. It's very frustrating too to see, you know, Ian Happ take all these pitches, which he should be taking those pitches, but missing the ones in his, you know, happy zone. And same thing with Rizzo. You know, today on that uh, double play in which Wilson Contreras got, you know, laughably called out Terrible. sliding yeah. in the second base, that was on the 3-0 count, man. And Rizzo, you know, he got his fastball and he missed it. Um, he did not miss his fastball on that first home run of his of the season, but he, you know, he missed it here. And that's, that's kind of what I'm talking about. It's frustrating to see team-wide, not just Rizzo in that one instance, but team-wide, most of these guys missing their pitches. Yeah, and I think we talked about that on the last episode where I think I had mentioned that there was a good bit of pitches where you felt like, ah, like that's the pitch, that's a hanging breaking ball, like right over the middle of the plate, and they just weren't... I've seen that so much. And and Jim Deshays even said that. I, I can't remember if it was the broadcast on Sunday or Saturday, but he brought that up too, where it just feels like they're not they're they're getting their pitch to hit, but they're not doing the damage with it. And I think you know if you start to look at these uh, heat maps and and things like that, I I, I think it's going to bear that out. But I want to I want to update. So a friend of the podcast, Matt Matt Clapp at the blog finds I read some of these numbers last time, and I just want to update on them because I, I I do think it paints the picture of where things are at. And the Cubs rank dead last, second to dead last, or third to dead last in all of these categories. The only one of these categories that Matt has listed here that they're not in in that far bottom of the league is, as Brendan mentioned, walk percentage. They, they are taking their walks. They have the ninth best walk rate in the league, so that's good. It's, you know, it's base runners, and, you know, like Brendan said, it means that you're spitting on some bad pitches and you're taking your walks and they're available. But when you rank dead last in batting average, BABIP, batting average on balls in play, on base percentage and WRC plus, and then you are 28th, so third to dead last in slugging percentage and contact rate, and then you are second to dead last in OPS and uh, also K rate, that's not good. Brendan, that is uh, what you would call a a bottom three offense or even a bottom one offense in a lot of these categories. So that's not going to get it done. And I think like you, there's, this offense is not going to be the worst in the league by the end of the year. They're they're just too talented. They're more talented than a lot of the, than other teams. That being said though, how much is it going to improve and does it improve enough to go along with the pitching and, and everything else to get this team where we want to be? I, I think one thing that I mentioned to you, Brendan, that, that was especially kind of jarring about this weekend is that the Cubs lost on Saturday and Sunday 
by six runs in each game, eight to two on Saturday, seven to one on Sunday. Brendan, the Cubs have not scored six runs in a game. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of times where like something happens and you feel a little hopeless, right? You're like, oh man, I don't know if they can come back from this deficit, whatever. If you felt that way on Saturday and Sunday, it's because the Cubs were being asked to erase a deficit that they hadn't put up in a single game yet. So yeah, it's it's difficult to feel confident, Brendan. I mean, the Pirates put up seven runs. The Cubs haven't scored seven runs all season. So you're if you were feeling like, well, this one feels out of reach, it's because it has been to this point. Even when they were down three to one in that Sunday game, you're just thinking to yourself, there, there's like no chance they can come back with some of these plate approaches that we've seen. So it's, it's frustrating, Corey. I don't think it will continue all year long. This team is just, you know what, maybe we've said this so many times, but I still, I still hold by it. I think this team is too talented to not put up numbers, to not get base hits. And I think over the course of the year, with more plate approaches and with more guys getting better looks, those base hits will come. But as you were saying in the beginning, like they have a tough stretch coming up. Like Jed will need to make a decision on what to do with his team, maybe before, you know, five, six weeks before the trade deadline. So there is a sense of urgency and whether they can get to that point where these good plate approaches are turning into base hits. I, I mean, of course, I hope it happens. Will it happen? I, I would bet it does, just, again, given a larger sample size. But you, you don't know. This sport is stupid. This is a dumb, stupid sport. And in some cases, you just don't get the results you anticipate, given some of these plate approaches. Yeah, and I mean, I think early on, it would at least be nice to have had a couple games where, like, the offense really explodes. And you go, okay, there it is, right? Like, there's yeah. that Cubs offense. Everybody's kind of firing. And we just haven't gotten that. You know, the most the Cubs have scored in a single game is five runs, which isn't bad. Right. But it would just be nice, you know, kind of like you're saying, I don't think they're, they're, they're not going to be like this the entire season. How, how good it ends up, that, that you know, is harder to tell. But it, at least you'd believe that there, there's going to be stretches that, that certainly have to be better than this. <laughs> like this is just not, this has been too bad. But I think to illustrate that, a good tweet from Patrick Mooney the Cubs finish this weekend 4-5. and five. They have a negative 11-run differential through those nine games, when six of which are against the Pittsburgh Pirates. And this offense has almost twice as many strikeouts. They have 89 strikeouts as they do hits, 45 hits. So almost double, very close to double. So that's not good, obviously. A nope. negative 11-run differential is not good. Uh, twice as many strikeouts as runs is not good. But I'm wondering, Brendan, when you look at this offense, what are we seeing from an approach perspective? I know you mentioned, you know, some of these numbers, but can you take us through a little bit more uh, what you're seeing from this offense? Because I I know there's not a blanket solution, right? There is nothing that either of us are going to say that it's like, oh, they just need to do this, right? And snap our fingers and boom, we've solved a, you know, in part, four-year-long issue, right? But is there something that, you know, maybe it gives you optimism or something that, you know, is clearly kind of that jarring number where it's like, okay, this is kind of clearly the problem. And maybe it's that they're not hitting those hittable pitches. There, there, There's a lot of nuance to this, but what are you seeing from a numbers perspective from the offense on the whole? I think a lot of the numbers back up uh, what you're seeing just watching these games. You know, when I say some of these numbers, if you're watching these games consistently, it's, it's no surprise. So what stands out to me the most, and I alluded to it earlier, was that outside the zone swing rate. So right now the Cubs have the third best outside the zone swing rate in Major League Baseball. Now, when you look at overall swing rate, they have the lowest rate in Major League Baseball. Right now it's 42.7%. This might be updated by Monday, but as it stands now, it's 42.7%. The lowest, again, in Major League Baseball. The two teams next to the Cubs in that category are arguably two of the best teams in Major League Baseball. The Dodgers and the Padres. They also have overall swing rates around 43%. So you ask yourself the question, well, then that's a good thing for the Cubs, right? It's not really maybe a good thing because if you look at the Dodgers, you look at the Padres, yes, they are not swinging at bad pitches, 
but their overall contact rates are almost 80%. Right now, the Cubs' overall contact rate, 71%. It's in the bottom five of baseball. That can't happen. So when you ask yourself the question, why are we not getting base hits? This is a really surface-level answer, but it's in the data. It's They're not swinging that many pitches, and when they do swing, they're making some of the worst contact in Major League Baseball. So so there there is, like, truthfully your general answer right there. You can dive deeper into, okay, what pitches are they getting? In which locations are they seeing pitches? And there are some interesting trends there. I think one other interesting uh, number that stands out is the number of fastballs they receive. So compared to the Dodgers, Dodgers see a fastball 55% of the time. It's in the top five of the league. And again, going off that Dodger-Padre comparison, Guess who also sees similar number of fastballs? The San Diego Padres. So they're both top five in baseball, both the Dodgers and Padres are seeing fastballs. Where are the Cubs? The Cubs are in the bottom third of the league seeing fastballs. They see a fastball in 48% of their pitches. So again, think about this. They're not swinging up bad pitches, right? And they're not making contact whatsoever. And they're not really seeing, relatively speaking, that many fastballs. So I'm thinking in my head, what does that look like? It looks like Javi Baez swinging at garbage outside the zone. It looks it looks a lot like, which is good, it looks a lot like Ian Happ and Jason Hayward and Rizzo and KB laying off some of those garbage pitches, right? And, but in doing so, whether it's walking or missing your fastball when you do see it, it's just not contributing to base hits. So I think that's where it is right now. That's the, the problem. I don't think over the course of the year, that these guys will be missing these these fastballs when they do get it. But in the current immediacy of what we're seeing, we're seeing heavy breaking stuff from the opposing pitchers at, at which the Cubs are not swinging. And the ones that are swinging at those pitches tend to have those really hyper-aggressive approaches that you typically see like Javi Baez. Not enough contact, not enough uh, hits against mistake pitches. Really, truthfully, the only one who's hitting mistake pitches is KB. Everyone else is just not doing that. So again, over the course of the season, hopefully that normalizes. That good plate approach does yield base hits, but right now they're just not seeing fastballs. They're swinging at too many, or they're not swinging at really any pitches. It's 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 frustrating, Corey. Yeah, and that was something, the thing you mentioned about the fastball, if you're looking for any perspective from the group themselves, you know, David Ross is going to say the same stuff about believing the offense is better, blah, blah, blah. But from one of the players themselves, Wilson Contreras reiterated kind of what you were suggesting there, Brendan, saying, quote, it looks like we're all trying to hit the fastball and we're not getting the fastball. So that's a mental adjustment that we have to make. So if it looks like that, the numbers bear that out. And Wilson saying it, you know, clearly that is uh, part of it. So that's certainly an approach that needs to get better. But, you know, I think like Javi's an, an interesting example, especially just in like the general sense for what you'd hope I guess, would be a better result, even if the underlying overall numbers aren't as great. So like Javi strikes out three times in the game on Sunday, and they didn't look good. But he also hits the homer. He hits the homer on Thursday. And he's got an OPS that's 801, right, with which his defense and base running and stuff like that, it's it's not that star level that you want him at, but it's it's productive. And so my my point is is that for for a lot of these guys, KB has the highest OPS on the team at 928 because uh, he's had some extra base hits, some home runs. He he doesn't look uh, again, you know, at that elite level, but he he looks good and and he's doing some damage. But I bring those two guys up, especially Javi, because some of these other guys they're 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 not even able to accumulate that. There's a lot of OPS numbers right now for this team that are in the 600s, the 500s. You know, Jock Peterson is in the 400s. So it, it, it's someone like Javi because he's getting the ball out and has three homers already to go with everything else. You know, the overall numbers are not as bad as some of these other guys, but you have so much of the rest of the lineup that is not even really doing any damage at all in, in you know, yeah. the, the the bigger picture. So these numbers just don't look good. And like, you know, you kind of bring up the the contact and, and, and how they're, you know, they're not making enough contact. And when they do, it's not good contact. Their team-wide BABIP is not going to be 
197 for the entire year. So you'd expect them to even just get some better luck on some of these. But this is kind of the deal with this offense, Brendan. And and I know it's so frustrating, but they just go lights out in the bad way for weeks at a time, games at a time, series at a time. And unfortunately, this is what that looks like. This is what it looks like with a group that has these kind of extremes. And it's it's nothing that we haven't seen before. And uh, unfortunately, we're going to see it again. But like I said on the last episode, I do believe that at some point, you know, they're they're not going to be the 28th or 29th worst offense in the league. They're, they're just not. But the, the question really becomes, and, and I, I want to transition to this a little bit, Brendan, is how long does this team have to show something different to this front office, right? right. Because I think that's more of the issue right now. I, I think a lot of people are really frustrated and, you know, throwing their hands in the air. And again, I I understand where you're coming from, but it's it's only nine games. The team is four and five. It's not like they're 0 and 9 or anything crazy like that, right? The the pitching from the starters on the whole throughout the season, there's been some bad starts, but it's it's looked okay, right? You've gotten some really good starts. The bullpen has some some pieces that are really showing you something here. So if the offense picks it up, like I, I do still believe that this is a competitive team in this division, but I, I do think it's a real question, Brendan, of how soon does this team need to show that they are, you know, unquestionably at the top of this division or certainly competing for it before things start to get a little itchy in that front office. And I, I don't know what they're going to do. Jed has not, you know, told us what he's going to do. You can certainly read into certain things, uh, like not having any extensions, like only signing guys to one-year deals or two-year deals where the second year is an option year, things like that, trading you Darvish for younger players, even though he had a few years left on the contract. You can read those tea leaves, right? I don't think I need to explain all that to you, what that kind of suggests. But at the same time, I, I can't tell you if this team is in first place by five games at the trade deadline. I don't know if that means that Jed won't trade anybody or that he'll buy at the deadline. There are certain people in certain circles that think no matter what, some of these guys are getting moved because the eye is Mm -hmm. to the future and not to 2021. So I can't answer that. But Brendan, here's what I'm looking at. And this was a really disappointing weekend. This was a bad effort against a bad baseball team, right? You can't be throwing around the insults to the Pirates about how they're in the the cellar of the division, all that other stuff, when they knock you around the ballpark like they did this weekend. At the same time, right, like you're not going to go 19-0 and against the Pirates or whatever it is. So it happens, right? Bad series happen before the All-Star break in 2016. That series in Pittsburgh had some really awful games, right? And that team won 103 games. I'm not comparing the two. I'm just saying, like, you can lose to the Pirates. It doesn't mean it's the end of the world. But as you mentioned, Brendan, this upcoming schedule, you've got the Brewers, you've got the Braves, you've got the Mets, you've got the Brewers again, you've got the Braves again. Then you finish the month and go into May with a series against the Reds. And then you have the Dodgers before you get to a portion of the schedule that's even a little lighter than that. I believe in that Mets series right now, you're lined up to get DeGrom and Stroman. The Braves, obviously coming off an NLCS, they've been playing, uh, you know, hit or miss to start this season, but obviously talent there. This is a tough portion of the schedule is my point. You're you're four and five after nine games and heading into sort of that early portion of May, the schedule is not easy. You're playing some good teams, some competitive teams. So how do you feel about this kind of looming situation? I I don't expect you to have an answer for what they're going to do. But do you feel that there kind of needs to be a sense of urgency for this team to turn it around and and just look better and 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 again they're you know they're four and five they're they're right in the division they're not out of it but you just sort of get this sense that there there's some sort of uh date or threshold where Jed might just have other plans and if this team isn't making those plans hard to pull the trigger on that he's got business he's got to take care of. So like how do you feel about that kind of like looming cloud over all of this? 
Well, it, we're still so far away, right? Like, so to know or to be confident about plans now in mid-April is, is, is just too soon. That being said, once you start to get into June, some teams are looking to improve. Some teams are looking to bolster their you know playoff potential. And so if the Cubs are approaching June and we're still seeing this volatile plate approach, when I say volatile, what I mean is they're taking their pitches, and in some weeks, they're smashing those mistake pitches, but in some other weeks, they're missing them like we've seen the last two weeks. If that continues while you approach June, while you may not see any moves made within that June period, I bet the plans are somewhat shifting in, in Jed's mind of what you're scouting, where you're sending your scouts. You know, they've had scouting personnel issues because of covid they let go i think i forgot what the number was i want to say like around you know three four five dozen scouts which it was a lot Corey, and that affected maybe your return from the padres with you darvish you know jed said basically they put all their resources into scouting the padres at the time because they they had scarce resources in their scouts so in that context i think once you get around june and you're not seeing positive signs from, from the offense, there's a few things you can do. You, you can fire your hitting coach. If we're seeing these weird trends right now, like I would not be surprised if Iaposi's like gone in, in June. And maybe that will be one way the Cubs are trying to salvage some of their remaining wiggle room before these types of trade deadline moves are truthfully and seriously being discussed. It is April. You don't want to overinterpret things, but at the same time, when you combine some of the recent data from last year during that COVID season, and you're an executive, you have to try to figure out a way to project what this team will look like months from now. And if you're taking data from last year, and you're seeing the exact same trends, I mean, last year, the Cubs had, you know, bottom five contact rate, top five O swing rate, like we're seeing this year. It's no different, right? It's no different whatsoever. So I, I think in the next you know, five, six, seven weeks, they're going to have to show that these trends we're seeing can be broken. And am I confident we're going to see that? I, I honestly don't know. I'm very, I'm I'm disappointed, honestly, in, in this approach. And yeah. I think a lot of my frustration, whether it's fair or not, I, I'm not happy with what we're seeing from an overall team-wide approach. And I think that has to fall on Iaposi, dude. Like, He's been there now with his team, with these guys for like, what is this now, the seventh year? You know, he was working with them in 2015. He knows these guys. Like at some point, you have to question the, the process here. And they've had success changing their pitching infrastructure and getting new guys in and new faces and voices in. Like I, at some point, I kind of think I want the same thing for, for a hitting perspective. I don't, I, again, I don't really know what Iaposi's doing. I think we don't get that much detail as we do with the pitching side of things. And so I, I could be completely off base here. But when I see this team-wide approach that's extreme and sudden and carrying over from last year, like I can't help but point the finger at Iaposi and be like, what the hell is going on here? Like, what what are we doing? Right. No, and I and I think that, you know, kind of especially what you reference in those 2020 numbers now, you know, again, like that team won the division. But it's something where I, I think the reaction to these first nine games wouldn't necessarily have been as strong if it weren't some of the same stuff, right? Like, I think people are just tired of talking about this offense and, and asking these same questions. And, it you know, since 2017, it has not been the same offense. It has not been the exact same story every year. There, there's there been different trends and, and different things that we've kind of been looking at. But I think that, you know, it's it's just harder for a segment of this fan base, and I it's I, I can't blame them to to have any patience with this group because I think they're just like, you know, okay, like it's been nine games, but as if I haven't seen this before, you know, and, and as if this hasn't happened in September at times, right? Like so it's it's a tough spot, man. But that's that's kind of where I am. If you guys are, you know, if you want my like honest opinion. To me, it's it's nine games, and I know that this is not literally a bottom two or one or three offense in this league. They're they're just not sheer talent wise. They're they're just better than that, right? And I, I don't mean that to suggest that I expect that by the end of the year, if nothing changes, they'll be a top five offense, right? Like, but. 
29th or 30th like I just I just don't see it they're 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 just not unless some of these guys are just you know their careers are in a completely wrong direction um but what does kind of I don't, you know, what 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 does have me thinking is the topic that we're on. That I just don't know how much runway this team has, right? Like when we talk about like a team like the Nationals, the year that they won the World Series, turning it around in you know Juneish, right after being you know bad and and so many games under five hundred. I, I don't know if this team is going to have that much runway. Brendan like I I I think it is very possible that Jed already knows what he wants to do and he's looking at Craig Kimbrell performing the way that he is he's looking at KB right now with a 940 OPS and he's you know got like big cartoon eyes thinking about okay who can I call who's going to be in demand for a closer who's going to be looking for these things and you know because I've got 2022 and beyond that I'm focused on and sort of started focusing on when I traded you Darvish, right? But I, Corey, I think we like to declare, like to clarify here, and, and you you may know more about this because you used to work in a front office, but I do think it's worth mentioning that the trade Chris Bryant or Javi Baez or some of these names we're talking about, which seems so, well, not weird anymore, but these are like superstar names. To get back a fair return, you have to do your homework. Sure. Like, weeks before yeah it's not an overnight thing right. you're like all right you know today's july or today's july 20th i'm gonna make a trade today and within 20 no right. this is a week-long thing so if you're gonna divert resources to make these optimal decisions you have to have an idea of are you buying or are you selling right. and if you're selling and then the tone of your scouting department i imagine in uh, a limited role is going to be Picking a lane. Yes, Am I right, right. about that? Uh, well, look, I mean, I was an intern in a couple front offices, so Brian Cashman wasn't giving me the uh, exact rundown oh, of what was going me, on. Uh, <laughs> okay, but yeah. yeah, like, look, you know, like even you're right. You do have to do the work. You do have to have people doing the work. And as you've mentioned, you know, we're coming out of a, uh, you know, pandemic season and off season where the, you know, a lot of scouting departments across baseball, not just the Cubs, have been gutted. They're not even playing, you know, official minor league games yet, right? They're doing some of these satellite scrimmages and stuff that, that we've heard about. So in terms of scouting, like it's, it's, weird right now. It's it's almost completely different for a lot of these teams, but it does take time. And when I say that I'm, you know, this is like looming over them, I don't think they're going to make a trade tomorrow, right? Like the market, it's been nine games. You don't know who's a buyer. You don't know who's a seller. You don't know anything at this point, right? But it's it's just a question of, to a lot of people, they kind of believe the Cubs needed a hot start, like the opposite of this, to maybe shift the perspective of the front office to laying off a little bit. And I don't know what's going to happen, but it's just something to think about. Because again, like this tough stretch of the schedule that does have a good bit at home, so hopefully they're they're able to take care of business at Wrigley Field. But, you know, that's going to be kind of that early to mid-ish May area, which you know, if it's not a clearer picture of what's going on by then, like, that's when you start getting into that territory of, okay, are we making phone calls? Are we sending scouts out? Do other teams across the league know what they're doing? Do we know what what, what we're doing, right? So I, I'm, and that's a whole separate discussion, right? That's going to be, let's see what Jed decides to do, and we can evaluate how we feel about all of that, right? So I'm not even getting into that now. I'm not advocating for it. I'm not you know, denying that they should do it. I, I don't know because it's only been nine games. But it does change the tone, but it, right? It, it's like, it is something yeah. that this is not just, you know, Brendan and I or anybody else you hearing you talk about this. This isn't just made up stuff. This is this is the storyline for this Cubs season. It is it it has been since the off season, since spring training. It has been very possible that trades were going to happen. It, we heard about it all off season, right? So of course it's it's still possible. So this is a real thing. And so don't conflate, you know, giving up on this team or being concerned about this team. That's not the same as thinking about the bigger picture because the bigger picture is the reality, right? It doesn't matter if you believe that this team is is going to be great or whatever over the course of 162 games. What matters for this team is what Jed Hoyer, 
and his front office think of this team probably come around, you know, late May, early June when they have to, like you said, Brendan, start picking a direction. So uh, again, like it, this was a frustrating weekend uh, to lose to the Pirates like that is a, a real bummer. And like I, I, I in, it's so early into a season, Brendan, like I, I find it very difficult to muster the energy to call it like unacceptable or things like that, right? Because again, like, you know, like you lose series to the Pirates, it happens, right? And we've seen series, we've seen seasons before where the Cubs would lose a series to a bad team and then they would beat, you know, three straight good pitchers in a row and you'd be like, well, that's baseball, right? <laughs> like, who knows? So it, it it's, it's too early to, I, I think, make sweeping conclusions, but the, uh, the offense performing like this this weekend, you know, against the Pirates did kind of highlight for me like, okay, like, I, you know, we may not be at that point now, but at some point it yeah. is going to be decision time. Jed Hoyer, you know, to paint a picture for you, he is going to walk to a fork in the road and he is going to have to choose a direction. Left. It's a reminder right. that those are that those possibilities exist. Yes, exactly. Right. It's, right. it's not saying we are there. Like, yes. don't, you know, it's April twelfth. Of course, we're not there, but it just reminds you, like, hey, like this is a reality that we could be facing in the next seven, eight. Right, weeks. and and I and think you were. It was a good point that you said, like, that point isn't just July thirtieth, right? Like the right. night before the deadline. It, it's it's going to be before that. So, as as far as you know, the offense is concerned. I I think again, it's it's nice to see because we highlighted it all off season. It's there's sort of a you know maybe like a sick irony that KB and Javi have, you know, two of the better offensive numbers on the season, right? I, I mean, there there's two guys in this everyday lineup that have an OPS above uh, 700, and it's Bryant and Baez. And, you know, we said all offseason <laughs> that it's, it's so much about Bryant and Baez, you need bounce backs from them. And, you know, I think Javi in, in in his ideal world would, would have a higher OPS, but, you know, three home runs already, uh, over 800 OPS, KB over 900, like, you'd hope that some of these guys around them were contributing at the levels we've seen in the past, and, you know, you'd feel a lot better about this offense. But I I, I do feel confident, like, Ian Happ is not going to hit 160 with a 603 OPS, all season. Anthony Rizzo is not going to hit 133 with a 517 OPS, right? And some of these things, like Rizzo is a notorious slow starter, right? It's it's just, again, that, that some, you, you sort of feel an extra weight of all of this because there is just so much uncertainty and potential direction with this particular team. So I, I guess the, the I, I don't know if there's an urgency, but it just sort of, it does feel like there's this looming thing, despite knowing like Jock's not going to OPS 429 the entire season, right? Hayward mm-hmm. is at 536 right now. And, and, you know, he's just shown to be better than that on offense over these last few years as, as his improvements have continued year to year to year. These numbers are going to improve. They're not going to be this bad. But the question is, can they turn it around as they hit a a much harder portion of their schedule, as they face so many better pitchers like they're going to over this stretch, and get themselves into a position where Jed, the the decision process for Jed is is a little more difficult and a, and a little more nuanced uh, than it would be if it were you know July thirtieth today, right? I'm not even saying to do it, but I have been thinking about the contrast between Hayward and Hap, and I think for Hap, some of his numbers for like all his Statcast numbers are pretty jarring. I think if you look at his whiff rate right now, it's in the bottom 10% of baseball, uh, or rather, he's whiffing in the top 10% of baseball. It's not it's not good, but at the same time, you're seeing his average exit velo in the top 10% of baseball, which is what you want to see. And he's not chasing his pitches. His chase rate is better than 85% of players. But I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, if you're you're not going to be chasing these pitches, it's awesome. And also you're hitting the ball extremely hard. To me, that sounds like you're a middle of the order bat. And when we look at Javi, who's 
volatile. And he is good, and he is putting up numbers above league average right now, even with that volatility. But it's that volatility that we've seen, even dating back to 2017, with in some games you're scoring eight runs, in some games you're scoring one run. And I remember this this figure from Sahad of Sharma of The Athletic showing there was very few games in between where they were scoring like four or five, right. six runs. Right. So I'm thinking, okay, how do we how do we like even out this weird distribution? Maybe, you know, you put Hap, who doesn't chase at pitches, you put him in the middle of the order, around five or six or seven, uh, preferably five or six, and you move up Hayward. And I think it, we've tried this before. I'm not mm. saying to do it, but I'm trying to spitball here. Hayward has basically the exact same peripherals as Ian Happ in terms of play discipline. He's also not swinging out pitches. He's also has a chase rate that's better than 85% of the league. The difference between Hayward and Happ, of course, is that contact rate. So Hayward has above league average contact with average to slightly below league average power. But if you're going to try to maximize this lineup and even out the volatility, let's instead maybe put Hayward up and lead off, put Hap down five, six, or seven, and you move Javi down to you know one spot, and you smooth it out. I actually would not be opposed to that. And we we were talking about this even during the off season, where I love Hap at the leadoff spot, but there is a point where you want to maximize his his type of approach, and you don't really see that making sense when he's hitting the ball far and taking his pitches while you have someone on the roster who could probably do the exact same from a plate discipline point of view, but he's also going to make more contact. You can smooth it out that way. So that, that's that that's where I'm at in terms of like what your immediate changes can be can be you know made. Also bringing up Nico Horner and not seeing uh, Eric Sogard or David Bodie this frequently might be a, a potential solution. But they're going to have to make a decision fast, man, because, you know, we're going to get into May and these next four to five weeks are going to be difficult. And so I don't know if there's a sense of urgency now in terms of the next three weeks, but you don't want to lose these games that we've seen against Pittsburgh, against these, you know, low level teams. Right. You don't want to miss your pitches this frequently. So if you want to be aggressive in your bullpen management, which is what David Ross is doing, then you also may want to be aggressive in your roster management and your plate and your lineup decisions and all that. You can't have it uh, two separate ways, right? You're either all in or you're all out. So I think for me, like I want to see Nico like sooner rather than later. I want to see maybe at some point some lineup tweaks specifically pointed at moving Ian up down in the order, not because he's doing bad, but just because I think Hayward's profile might suit the team better. Yeah, I I don't know. I to you know normally I think my answer would be that it's a bit too early for that. Um, you know I think Hap had a lot of success in that leadoff spot in 2020. Is it too early though? Corey? Well, that's I mean, we've seen that's, like Hayward look good last year doing the same yeah, thing. Yeah, well, but you know? I mean, I guess how I would respond to that is, you know, you're right now you're talking about moving a guy in Hayward who has worse overall numbers than Ian Happ does. So they're I both, know what you're saying from a <laughs> plate discipline perspective, and you know, really where I guess I am a little confused is I, I'm all for you know shuffling things around, right? Because at least so far, you know, sometimes a little change sparks things and just gets things cooking in a different direction, right? Change people's perspective, whatever. But I, I don't know. It, it feels um, a little quick, I guess, to pull Hap from that spot. I, I think if they if they believe in him in that spot and, and believe that he can replicate that success you know I mean I I think clearly he's a better player than he's been in these nine games and I I know you said it's not necessarily a reaction to these nine games but I just yeah I don't know it feels it feels a little soon but at the same time you know it feels a little soon and if Hayward were putting up better numbers you know maybe but I mean you know right now I mean you're talking about taking a guy with a 600 OPS and putting in a guy with a 530 OPS so I you know I just don't I don't know, but I, you know, I do think you know maybe tweaking things a little bit, as as we've seen before, right? Sometimes just gets things going. You know, Hap wasn't intended to be the leadoff hitter to start the twenty twenty season, right? Like you know, you 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 sort of and he fell into right. It, yeah. he, you know, KB in the, in those uh, original spring training games, you know, it's KB in the leadoff spot, and you know yeah. things change. And Hap flourished for for a while. He took that ball off the eye and you know struggled a little bit to end the season. But you know, I, I think. If you believe in him in that spot, I think it's too soon to make changes like that. But if David Ross is, you know, feeling like 
trying to spark things or, or change things up a little bit, I, I don't necessarily have a problem well, with it. But I think w- what's what's clear in all of this, right? And I and I think you're you're correct, Brendan. There there's not you can't just snap your fingers, right? The approach that they have is is an approach that they have. It's not easy for like an entire team to be like, oh, we're leaving too many, you know, we're not swinging at the meatballs when we're getting them, you know, we're maybe being too passive, but we're taking our walks. Oh, we, we just have to change that, right? And, you know, Monday night, it's a completely different team. But what is clear and very obvious, but I, I you know, I just think like worth kind of making that main point conclusion, they got to be better than this. They, they, they cannot get through the the depth around the rest of the team, right? Like, Zach Davies was bad on Saturday. Trevor Zach Davies was awful on Saturday. Trevor Williams was bad on Sunday. Bad didn't feel enough for Zach Davies on Saturday. But that's, that's going to happen with this staff, right? Like, this staff is going to have a lot of good quality starts, but there's going to be some clunkers, right? And every now and again, like, you're going to need the offense to bail them out a little bit. And right now, it does not feel like that. It, it feels like every pitcher has to be perfect, has to be, you know, quality start, two, three runs maximum. And, you know, this offense can get it done a lot of the time. But, yeah, like, these games over this weekend just felt over man, you know, and, and I, I think you guys, like, I, I told you guys before, like, I'll sit at a game that goes 15 innings, Cubs don't have a hit, I'll sit there if they're down 15 to nothing, I'm not like a give up on them kind of guy, but I can admit to you, like, watching those games on Saturday and Sunday, it was like, I don't think they're gonna score <laughs> seven runs, right, like, I don't think they're gonna come back in this game, they, and, and so, again, it's, it's an obvious point, but they, they, they gotta pick it up, and they gotta pick it up, fast. And, you know, again, you'd hope that there'd be a little bit better luck, just some of these balls finding a hole, some of these balls falling, you know, and and again, like you said, Brennan, converting some of these walks to more runs and get stringing some hits around them. And, you know, just a big inning like here or there, like they had uh, you know, on Thursday or on, uh, in that game, in that, uh, Brewers series where they, they hit the home runs in the same inning, like a little bit more of that, right? Like just occasionally you'd feel a little better. So it's an odd spot guys. It it really is where it's nine games, but we're talking about the same stuff. So it, it's very hard to, I think, arrive at a conclusion. Because I, I do still believe that we're going to see stretches and series and periods of time where this offense looks good. And, and you're really feeling like, okay, this is what this is supposed to look like. But we just know it's a lot of boom and a lot of bust. And sometimes the bust happens all at the same time, which is basically what you're looking at right now. Okay, so let's preview this upcoming series against the Milwaukee Brewers. So the Cubs will go to Wrigley North and start a three-game set on Monday. That game starts at 6.40 p.m. Central. The Cubs have Adber Alzali on the mound. He'll be facing Freddie Peralta, who just faced the Cubs last week. On Tuesday, we have another 6.40 p.m. Central start time. Kyle Hendricks back on the mound for the Cubs. He'll be facing... Brewers ace Brandon Woodruff, uh, who shut down the Cubs last time he faced them. And then on Wednesday, to finish off the three-game set, we have Jake Arrieta on the mound for the Cubs. He'll be facing Corbin Burns for Milwaukee. Right now, Milwaukee is 5-4, and four, and the Cubs are 4-5. and five. So really not any specific things to look for this series other than what we've talked about. We need base hits. That's it. Plate approaches have been good, I, I guess, but we need to turn those approaches into base hits. If you want to get into the nitty-gritty details of these pitching performances, I think for Hendricks, look at that velocity. That velocity is going to tell you how his mechanics are. So if he's throwing 84, 85 early in the game, uh-oh, look out. He might be a little bit locked. If he's throwing 86, 87 early in the game, that means, hey, your mechanics are good. That means your changeup might be good. That means your tunneling might be good. So those are kind of the nitty-gritty details. And then you want to see Adber probably continue to hammer down those sinkers up in the zone, those sliders, as he did last time out, even the result, even though the results weren't necessarily there. You just want to see a continuation of the process, which I think we will. I think Adber has an incredible mindset, incredible confidence, and his Twitter game core is actually pretty strong, too, with all these vibes, uh, tweets yeah. he's thrown out there. So that's what I have, man. I, again, it's not obvious, or rather, it's 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 obvious what we need. It's just a matter of let's get it done now rather than waiting a few weeks to see this often show up. 
Yeah, so David Ross said after the game on Sunday, quote, I don't want to be cliche all year, but it's a long season. And he and others, you know, reiterated that they believe the offense will be there and it, it'll come and et cetera. Got to see it, guys. You know what I mean? Like, th- that's that's really what it is. It's, it's, it's too early to write them off or anything like that. They're right in it. And again, I, I, I still believe this team is competing for this division if the season ends and, you know, the roster stays mostly the same. I don't know about that. But they 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 gotta start showing up. One of the things about a tight division race and a division race where you know you know I I guess four teams are are competing. It feels weird to leave the Pirates out of that after they just knocked us around like that. But I you know I think over the long haul that's the case. You you don't want to wait around too long, right? Because as of right now, you know nobody's taken like a a a hold on this division. But somebody could, right? Somebody gets hot, goes on a run, like, and you're messing around for too long. Like, that's the thing. When you're when you're in a situation like the Cubs are in, where you know the the Reds could be right there, the Cardinals could be right there, the Brewers could be right there, and the Pirates just, just beat you in a series, you know, like, you, you don't want to wait around too long and, and kind of have that, like, uh, oh, nobody wants to win the division type thing. Like, you, you never know if somebody's going to go on a run and kind of be able to put a little distance uh, from themselves between everybody else. So that's why, you know, even an early series season, even only nine games in, you want to win those series against the Pirates because you just don't know, you know, you want to bank those wins. And, and we talked about how important, and you saw how important that was in the 2020 season. The Cubs got off to that hot start, and they did not play that well from that point on, right? But they won the division because they started 10 games over 500 to begin that season. What did they start, 13-3? and three? Brennan last year like yeah, and we, we we went in on how important that was to bank those wins and to start that way and to get that little bit of distance right if you did go through a bad stretch that's exactly what happened right they didn't play that well to end the 2020 season after those first 16 games but it didn't matter because they had played so well at the beginning and they had banked those wins and this is a much longer season. It doesn't all work exactly the same, but you want to win those series against the Pirates. You you, you know you want to be racking up those uh, easier wins, if you will, before you head into stretches of the schedule like this. So I think again the the, the pitching overall. I think you know there's some really good stuff in the bullpen. Rex Brothers has had some nice outings. Kimbrell looks dominant. Chafin has been really good. Um, you know, and and I think David Ross and Tommy Hadovy are, are getting some looks at these guys. And you know, it, it on the whole, I I I think they're going to be able to do what they need to do from a bullpen perspective. Uh, even better if Kimbrell is looking this good. The starters, it's it's going to be you know up and down at times, right? Like we know this. You expect Kyle Hendricks to go out there every day and be Kyle Hendricks and give you those dominant starts. But the rest of the rotation, it's it's less of a sure thing. There, there's going to be some really good ones. Uh, there's going to be some quality starts. Jake Arrieta has been you know very good to start this this season, as good as you could have hoped for, uh, you know, given the circumstances and everything. But there's, there's going to be some volatility. And so you, you just have to expect that. You need the offense to be participating at times. It's it's really simple. And I mean, I you know, this isn't uh, revelation type stuff, but the offense has to be better than this. They, they have to put some crooked numbers on the board, give us some games where they're blowing teams out and just letting this pitching staff have a little bit more comfort uh, and, and, you know, not feeling like when the other team does put a crooked number on the board themselves or have big innings or, you know, dig a hole for the Cubs, you know, you don't feel like the game is over. And, you know, that's kind of how it's felt uh, through the early going. You know, if the Cubs didn't get those home runs, didn't jump out to the lead, it feels tough. So I, I don't expect it to, to, to be like this. They're, they're, they're better than this. But I think, you know, you want to see that turnaround quick and you, you need it to happen. You need it to happen for a lot of these guys right now because it's been tough in the early going. But that, I think, is what we have for you for this episode. Uh, boy, you guys, I, like, come Wednesday, I would love nothing more than to talk about how good the offense has been or just something other than how concerned we all are about this offense because I, if we had, like, a spreadsheet or something that could tabulate how many times we've had this almost exact conversation, just change some of the players around, it's too much, right? 
I love talking to you guys. Brendan and I love talking to each other. I don't like talking about this anymore, right? Too much of all of our lives has been spent on the Cubs offense and the the kind of boom and bust nature of it or the lack of production or uh, knowing that they're better than this and they're more talented than this, but just not seeing it. Uh, so hopefully come Wednesday, we are talking about how the offense was really good. They showed up at Wrigley North in Milwaukee. I don't even know what they call that place anymore because it's not Miller Park. Um, it's Wrigley North, yeah. It Wrigley North, yes. Uh, yeah. Right, that is legally the yeah. name. Uh, but so hopefully we can flip the script here and 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 get going on a, a different path here as as we wonder how this season is going to play out. Uh, it's still very early and there's a lot of season left to be played, a lot of this story left to be written, but you do want to see it turned around. And, you know, I think it's it's fair to start to wonder at some point what the urgency level is there from the front office. So I think that's the story of Chicago Cubs baseball for now. As always, we thank you guys for listening to the Cubs-related podcast, and we will talk to you on Wednesday evening after the Cubs and Brewers finish up a three-game set in Milwaukee. So as always, thank you guys. We'll talk to you soon, and go Cubs. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.